<laughs> or not. It's just alright. That's just awkward silence. That's great. Alright. Good morning. So, uh, my name is Timothy. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church Oak Cliff. And from the bottom of my heart, it's always an honor to stand before you, the people that I love, and, and teach about the God that we serve. It's, it's a special honor um, just to wish you a happy Easter. Um, if you're new to the church, I want to I wish you a happy Easter from the Roundtree family and just from the Trinity Church Oak Cliff family. Um, uh, we pray that this season has found you well. Easter is a special time in the life of all New Testament church because it's the time that we reaffirm why we're actually here, why we actually meet, why we live the way we say we live, why we do the things, why we love the way, why we hope, why we do all the things that encompasses the life of a believer is, is reaffirmed today. It's an even more special time for Trinity Church because this is our launch birthday. So four years ago today, we launched. Our launch time, our first corporate meeting was Easter. And I love that for so many reasons. One of their main reasons, though, is because it will always remind us of why we launched. We, it will always remind us and it will reaffirm why Trinity Church planted in North Oak Cliff, why we wanted to build God's local church, why we thought the gospel needed to be spread in this area is because the tomb is empty in the cause of Christ. And that's something that we're always going to reaffirm. And it's always going to keep us in, pro in proper priority and, and of importance of where we are as far as our local church and the actual reason we should launch. We're never going to be about ourselves. We're always going to be about the empty tomb. And the fact that our launch date coincides with our rejoicing that we serve a, a Savior who died for us, conquered hell in the grave, and rose again is always going to be something that brings a smile to my face. And I'm excited to be in this room and proclaim these truths. Easter is not just a, a time for pomp and circumstance. Easter is not just a time to look great. And side note, you guys look great. <laughs> I challenged you to bring your A game a few weeks ago and you answered the call. And that, that's important. And I'm, I, I, I make joke about that, but it's not about how great you look despite the fact that you do look great. And it's, it's not about just the idea that we get to go to church with family. It's a proclamation. It's a declaration of us reaffirming the truth of the gospel of Christ. It's a time that we proclaim that we serve a risen king and that we know that that tomb is empty. That tomb is empty. That's a historical fact. The tomb, there's no one in there. There's nothing left. But it's also a gospel truth that's going to propel us to live the life that we know we are called to live. The work of the risen Savior is transformative. We're going to land there today. That's where I want to find yourself asking that question, am I transformed by the cause of Christ? Do I actually believe what I say I believe? Because if the tomb is empty and we believe that to be true, then everything is changed. The way we see people, the way we love people, the way I am with my wife, the way I father my children, the way I pastor this church, the way I, I work Monday through Friday has to reflect the fact that I believe that tomb is empty. Yes. Woo, we're not even there yet. I'm already red-faced. Like, you can tell like your eyes get big when I start yelling at you about Jesus. Um, but we have a lot to cover. I'm going to try to stay focused because I'm going to hit you up with some stuff that could be sermon series in of itself. We're going to hit up some stuff, and I don't want you to ever think the brevity of which we cover something is it's tied to its importance. We just have a timetable. We have like 47 kids down the hallway that are only going to give me about 21 minutes before they do a mutiny, and it's uh, like 
piggy takes over and all that stuff, and it gets weird. Um, so last week, Pastor Jamin did an amazing job of, of walking us through the triumphal entry, and he pointed out something that I never want us to forget, which is the humanity of the believer, the brokenness of who we are as humans, that we, in the same breath, would yell, Hosanna! And then and hours later, you'll crucify Him. That's the brokenness of humanity. That's where we find ourselves apart from Christ. Apart from the goodness and the grace of our God, we find ourselves to be a fickle people, unsure of what we really want and what we really need. Because they were yelling Hosanna as their Savior was coming into Jerusalem. And days later, they were yelling for His life to be taken on the cross. How quickly things can change when unmet expectations happen. When we say we want this kind of king and we're presented with this kind of savior and that makes us mad because as humans we think I want what I want when I want it and I want what I want right now. I want, to, I want what I want, what I think is best for me and, and nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten what you think is best for you is probably not. Right? So they wanted a conquering king. They wanted a, a, David, a king out of the lineage of David. So they wanted David. They wanted a 6'4", sword-wheeling monster. They wanted Saul. They wanted David. They wanted the kings of the Lord. They wanted someone to come in and take the power from Rome because they were tired of being subjected to Roman law and slavery. They were tired of not being able to be in power like they used to be. They wanted a, a, a savior coming in on a horse leading a war party. And what they got is a humble savior coming in on a donkey. And because what they thought they wanted versus what Christ actually knew they needed, they rebelled. They said, crucify Him. They wanted a conquering king. They got the Savior they need, and it wasn't good enough. In Luke 22, we see Christ is arrested because of His profession of being the Messiah. The disciples scatter. His closest friends abandon Him. Peter, uh, the person on which the church will be built, denies Him three times. There's unlawful courts that try our Christ, they torture our Christ, and they crucify Him on the cross. And what they did to our King trying to snuff out the movement of Christ actually bolstered um, the saving grace of our King. Because what Rome did, Rome decided that they were going to use a symbol of fear, a symbol of power, a symbol of death and torture, which is the cross, but our God, our Savior, being sovereign and powerful, said, I'm going to take your image of power and I'm going to turn it into an image of grace. And that's what our Savior did on the cross. And He died. And when He died, the curtain was torn. And I know we don't have time to go into Old Testament theology, but I need you to know the importance of that curtain being torn. When the temple was constructed, there was a holy and there was a most holy. And the most holies of holies was divided by a curtain. And what, what happened behind that curtain was the presence of God. And we were created for Eden, but we were cast out of Eden. So we are in exile. We don't get to be in the presence of God. So there was a curtain in the temple where, where the nation of Israel would go to worship and they would go to worship, but they couldn't be in the presence of God because of the sin that fractured the world. So they could, they could pay homage to God. They could sacrifice to God, but they couldn't be in the presence of God. And when our Christ died on that cross, He paid your penalty. It's penal substitution. He said, you owe a debt you cannot pay. And I'll pay a debt I do not owe that you may know eternal life. So he paid our penalty, but he purchased our access. 
He said, I want to be the intermediary between you and your God. I want to be the go-through of which God will now see you and which you will now see God. Because when God looks at you, He doesn't see the brokenness that you know is in your heart. He sees the blood that His Son cast on you. God looks at you through the lens of Christ. I gotta stay focused. We're gonna be here all day. <laughs> I'm halfway through the first page. Okay, we're gonna be in Luke 24, 1 through 12 today. It's gonna be behind me on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, I hope there's one next to you. If you don't own a Bible, that one is yours. What we're gonna see today is all of that I just depicted has happened. And our, our Savior lays in a tomb for three days and he rises. And we're gonna see his believers come to that tomb expecting to see. A, a dead friend, and what they're going to leave seeing is a risen Savior. If you would stand in honor of the written word, I'm going to read it out loud. We stand for a few reasons, right? We stand because I want us to focus. We stand because I want us to be reverent. But more important, I want us to feel the gravity of what's going on right now. We're about to see the closest-knit group of Christ believers coming to the tomb in complete brokenness and leave in complete joy. Verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but He is risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise? And they remembered His words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who had told them these things to the apostles. But these words seemed like idle tale. And they did not believe them. Verse 12, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping in and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves. He went home marveling at what had happened. You may be seated. Let me pray over us. We're going to dive into this. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come into your presence and proclaim your truth. God, I'm thankful to be a son of the Most High. God, I am thankful for the opportunity we have to pour into your scripture and to reflect on the truth that will dictate our life. God, I am thankful for the cross of Christ and I'm thankful for the empty tomb. God, I pray for the next few moments as we, we pour over your word and we pour over your truth, I pray that anything that would get in our way, anything that would be a stumbling block, anything that would distract us, that you cast out so we can solely focus on your ways for your way. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's dive into this. There's a lot of fruit here because we see the humanity of the believer. We see the beauty of a Savior all playing out. In verse 1, on Sunday, they went to the tomb with the spices they had prepared. They could not have prepared Him sooner because of the Saturday being the Sabbath. So they're coming as first light on Sunday with spices they had prepared. That in of itself says they're not thinking that they're going to find a risen Savior. They're going to do the best they can to respect a fallen friend. They prepared spices to prepare the dead body so He wouldn't smell. So you have His closest friends completely void of what's actually happened. Even though Christ has professed truth to them, the brokenness, the fracturedness of humanity, the fear and the scaredness that they feel right now has overtaken what they've been taught, and now they just want to do the best they can by the friends they love. 
They want to prepare these spices. They want their, their fallen friend, their, their fallen prophet, their fallen teacher to be honored the only way they know how, and that's spices in a preparable manner for his body. So they're walking to the tomb with these spices. And when they get there, they see the stone is rolled away. There's beautiful, beautiful truth in that. Because please let me get this through to you that Christ didn't need an exit strategy. Christ conquered hell in the grave. Christ rose from the dead. He didn't need the stone to be rolled away so he could get out. He needed the stone to be rolled away so you could see in. He needed you to come there and realize he wasn't there. Because whether the stone was rolled away or not, he'd already conquered hell in the grave. But he needed his believers to see that he is the risen Savior. And they walk in and they're still perplexed. And they say, where is my Savior? And the angels hit them up with some of the most beautiful truth you can hear. Is why do you look for the living among the dead? And that's our lives right now. I'm telling you right now, if you're yearning for something you can't taste, if you're thirsty and you're hungry but nothing fills you, if you know that there is something better out for you but you can't find it, one, that thing you're looking for is the cross of Christ and the gospel and truth. But what you're looking for is the dead. And you're only looking among the living. You, 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 can't, you track with me the fact that you are trying to fill yourself up with dead things when Christ offers you something living. But don't you remember what He told you? That He must be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered these things and they went back to the apostles. Here's some, some heartbreaking truth. The apostles didn't hear this good news, jump up and celebrate the risen King. They thought it was idle tale. And here's where you're going to find yourself today. You're going to find yourself either absolutely transformed by the cross of Christ in the empty tomb, or you're going to think it's idle tale. And trust me when I tell you this, there's no middle ground. Amen. Satan wants to trick you into thinking that you can be half bought in and half not. And what he wants you to do is live out your life lukewarm, so at the end of your life, our Savior can spit you out and say, I never knew you. Satan doesn't want to try to trick you into some alternate reality where there's, there's all these different kind of gods and all these different kind of ways and all this stuff. What Satan wants you to think is that you're doing enough. Satan wants you to think that you're bought in just enough to get in. And what I'm here to tell you, you're either going to be transformed by the cross of Christ or you're going to think it's an idle tale. And they went on and they told Peter, and Peter arose. And he jumped up and he went and saw for himself the empty tomb. And you can, see, you can tell that things are starting to click. Things are starting to come in. Things are starting to make sense. I think um, it's easy for us to judge Peter. It's easy for us to judge uh, the women that came to the tomb. And it's easy for us to judge the apostles. Because we have the totality of scripture. We know how the story ends. But they're living out real life. And I, and I would uh, encourage you to never read scripture and think, dumb Peter. Because you are Peter. I'm not calling you dumb. I did literally just call you dumb. Um, that part's true. But I stand by what I said. We're all kind of dumb when it comes to the truth. A lot. Like it's before our eyes. And we think, hey, Peter, he just told you everything he was going to do. And, and it would make sense for us for there to be a watching party, right? Everyone has a favorite show or the Super Bowl. Some would call today the Super Bowl uh, for Christianity. But we all are about like pomp and circumstance. We're all about celebrations. And, and watching parties are something we do well. And you would think if you read this story and then cast it through the next three days, you would think the apostles would just be at the tomb ready and waiting. But the truth is they were scared. Because we have the totality of Scripture. We have been blessed to be born into a time where the Spirit is moving, where, where the Scripture is fulfilled, and where we are reading and doing God's work. But they're living their real life in, in a broken, shattered reality of their best friend being tortured and killed in front of them, and they don't know if they're next. 
but the truth of Christ reigned supreme. And you see the, a change in the apostles. You see a change in the believers of Christ because Christ rose, Christ has the empty tomb, and Christ actually met them for 40 days and lived life and continued to teach and can, continued to prepare them to plant God's church on earth. And we have to ask ourselves, do we actually understand the implications of what we say we believe? Do we actually allow this truth of the cross and this truth of the tomb to be in our, our marrow, to be in our bones? Does it, does it guide everything we do? Does it guide how we treat people? Does it guide how we love people? Does it guide how, how we pray? Does it guide how we live? Or is it just something we celebrate once a year? Are you transformed by the gospel of Christ? Are you a living sacrifice or are you conformed by the world? Because we are no longer called to sacrifice bulls and goats because we know the, the blood of bulls and goats is no longer necessary because we have the blood of a Savior. But we are called to give sacrifice and that's a living sacrifice of your life. You are called to die daily for the cause of Christ. You are called to die to yourself, die to your desires, die to your sin nature and to walk in open faith with your Savior and to answer the call of Christ and say, Today I die to myself, Lord, what do you have for me? In Romans 12, 1 through 2, Paul writes it beautifully. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Mercies of God be, meaning the saving grace. Salvation offered to you as, as a human who at Christ died for. The mercies of God is salvation through Christ. By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, as holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by the testing that you may discern what is will of God and what is acceptable and perfect. So what Paul is writing there is saying, you can either be completely transformed by the cause of Christ, you can actually believe what we say we believe and it will change us forever, or you can be conformed by this world and just keep on living this vanilla life. And there's a lot of us out there that know something's not right, that they know they're not focused, they know they're not intentional, you know you're not living the call of Christ, but you can't put your finger on it. And I'm telling you today, where, where you lie is that you know about the empty tomb, but you don't believe in the empty tomb. You've heard about the cross of Christ, but you don't believe in the cross of Christ, because the cross of Christ has no choice but to transform you. The fact that we have a Savior that died in our stead, that we may know eternal life, that we have someone that we never met, that was tortured and died and rose again on the third day, conquering hell and the grave and, and killing the pains of death. Amen. The fact that we have a Savior that did that means you can't sit still. Amen. We look at that, tra that transformation, that, that change that we see in the life of Peter and the apostles. So, when Christ was, was arrested and, and crucified, his, his friends, his posse scattered. Right? It wasn't a ride or die scenario. It wasn't death before dishonor scenario. And all of us would be like, I, I would do better. And maybe you would. I don't know uh, where you fall. But I'm telling you, these people abandoned our Christ in this time of need. And they did it to the fulfillment of prophecy. I don't know what's more sad, the fact that Christ had his friends abandon him, or the fact that Christ knew his friends were going to abandon him years before they actually did it. But when Christ was captured, arrested, and crucified, he did it alone. He, he went that road by himself because they were scared and because they were human. Peter denied him three times. 
Christ's community was hiding in houses when they should have been waiting for the tomb to be empty, right? We talked about there was no waiting party. They were scared in their houses and they were fearful that the next noise they heard was the Sanhedrin coming to get them. They were hauled around scared wondering who was going to be next. There was a fear that captured them and would not allow them to move. But then you enter the empty tomb. You enter the risen Savior. You enter the cross of Christ. You enter a belief system that emboldened them. You enter a belief system that took hold of the very bones and souls of the apostles of Jesus Christ and nothing can stop them. You're sitting here today because of their faithfulness to the cause. None of us come from Messianic or Hasidic Jewish uh, heritage. We're here because we had people that understood the cross of Christ and would not let the fear of death and dismemberment scare them from spreading the gospel. You see Peter in Acts 2 where he is boldly proclaiming the truth of Christ. So Peter, days before, hiding in a house. I want you to get a mental picture of, of Peter wanting to do better, hating that he couldn't even look at himself in the mirror because he already denied his best friend who, was, who died Hours after Peter denied even knowing who this Jesus is, that Peter who is scared, that Peter is not a leader, that Peter is broken. But in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter stand before the Sanhedrin, stand before the men of Judea, stand before anyone and everyone who will actually later prosecute and persecute him up unto death. And he proclaims, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, and you yourself know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of the foreknowledge of God. You crucified him and killed him by the laws of the hands of lawless men. You see Peter go from a scared and tattered man to boldly proclaiming the cause of Christ, saying, You killed my Jesus. You did. You crucified him and you killed him, but it's okay because he did it in the foreknowledge of God. He did it to pave the way to salvation. He did it to give us eternal life. That kind of boldness, that kind of transformation can only come from true gospel works. The fact that Peter actually believed what he saw. And I'm calling on you today to do the same. We see those changes all throughout the New Testament. We see Saul become Paul. We, speak, we see meek, broken people understanding the true cause of Christ and living their life in open abandonment. All of the apostles, all of the followers of Christ died bad. Every one of them died in some form of martyrdom or torture or exile. Because they realized the thing that propelled them, the thing that, that stirred in them, the boldness that they had was supernatural. That they weren't doing their own works, they weren't relying on their own power, and they weren't looking for their own gains. That they were absolutely encouraged and proclaiming the truth of Christ. The fact that our Savior lives. We serve a risen king. And if you're not telling people nonstop about it, it's easy for people to question if you actually believe it. The fact that our cross transforms you into a better version of yourself, progressively sanctifying you into the image of Christ, is a truth that we have to cling to. Easter is not simply a celebration of events, but rather a declaration of an eternal work being lived out in the life of the believer. And here's where I wanted to sit today. I'm not here just to simply yell at you, but I've been yelling at you for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. But I, where I want this to rest, where I want you to find hope, where I want you to find peace, 
is that a lot of us are wrestling with our calling. A lot of us are wrestling at where are we supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? How am I ever supposed to do anything for the cause of Christ? I'm as broken as they come. Well, guess what? You're being led by a pastor who's broken as they come. I'm a walking billboard that we serve a God of redemption. Ten years ago, I would have never told you that I'd be preaching in front of a group I love on Easter Sunday. Easter Sundays are for real pastors. But because of the faith of, a, of the God that we know is King, because of the redemption, because of the sanctification, we've been doing this for four years now. And we have a God that has been so faithful to us. Everyone in this room knows that we wouldn't be here aside from the work of Christ and the faithfulness of the Spirit to move and encourage and sustain. And I want you to know that you are loved. You were bought and you were called. You are loved by a God. You are loved by a Savior that died for you. You are bought with a price. Salvation is yours for the taking if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You are a sinful being. Our sin fractured ourselves from God. But God sent a Savior down. Our Christ, our Jesus, died on the cross. Died, rose in three days, conquering hell and the grave. That we may know salvation work through our Savior and be eternally aligned with God. And you are called. You are called to live out those truths. You are called to be a better version of yourself. You are called to love people different. You are called to, to speak to people different. You are called to work in this church. You are called to be a different kind of wife, a different kind of husband, different kind of child, different kind of father and mother, and so on and so forth. Because the work of Christ is transforming you Day by day, all you have to do is, is latch on and believe. It has been, it is the greatest honor of my adult life to call myself the pastor of Trinity Church. And I love uh, being in a room full of people that I, we've gone to war with, right? The last four years has been beautiful. It's been amazing. There's been a lot of tears. There's been a lot of laughter. There's been a lot of praise. There's been a lot of teaching. There's been a lot of me yelling. We, we, that would be how I'd characterize like, What kind of pastor are you? I yell a lot until I run out of my voice and I sit down and we sing some. And we're going to do that here in a minute. But I don't want us to ever lose sight of the truth of Easter. I don't want Easter to just be a time where we get together with family or Easter to just be a time where we wear our best outfits and put on our best faces. Because some people in this room right now, I don't know your story, but I can tell just because I know you're humans that you're saying, I'm putting the best face forward I can because it's Easter, but I'm dying inside. And I'm, I'm telling you that you don't need to die inside. You have a Savior that already died for you. And you need to take hold and own that salvation and say, I'm a child of the King. That my Savior lives, that tomb is empty, the cause of Christ is real, and I'm going to live every day in accordance to that truth. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what we do best. I'm going to sit down. Uh, we're going to have the worship band sing a few more songs, and then we're going to dismiss. We have some times to be together, to love on each other, and, and just give out as many Easter hugs as we can fit. But we have an Easter egg hung after this that is going to be uh, joined with some cold topo. Um, that's what this church does best, topo and Easter egg hunts. Um, and then after that, if you don't have plans uh, for lunch, we're going to have a TCOC uh, brunch at the Stevens House. And if you want to be a part of that, um, hit us up. We'll give you directions. And, and I pray that the rest of today we just walk in the truth. And that, and that the truth of what we just learned, the truth uh, of the cross of Christ, doesn't just end at midnight on Easter Sunday, but it propels us out of bed on Monday morning because we have a Savior that loves you so much. 
We have a Savior that wants to walk alongside you Monday morning. And I'm bad about this. I'm bad about waking up on Monday morning wanting to be a new version of myself. And by 10 o'clock on Friday, I've already like said so many words that I hope y'all never hear me say. <laughs> Just trying to be real with you. It's not good. Um, and it's easy for those, those systematic failures, those moments of weakness to think, I, I can't do this. I'm just going to put on the fake, the fake Easter smile this time next year. But I want to encourage you to know that our Savior isn't looking for you to be a better version of yourself. He's looking to, for you to, to be a faithful version of where you're at and that He will walk alongside you to eternity. God, I'm going to pray over us, and we're going to worship the risen King. God, thank you for Easter. Thank you for the idea of, of, just, of just casting out salvation through your Son. Thank you for the, the act of just redemption. That, that there is an atoning love. There is a redemptive work found in you that, that we do not deserve, but that we have for the taking because of your faithfulness, because of your love, and because of your sovereign grace. God, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.